thanks for leading us in worship on a frantic morning. I mean, what a task, eh? Um, so we're going to carry on in 1 John, 1 John. So if you go to Revelation and then jump back a few books, we're just spending this first part of the year exploring the uh, mainly the up and the in rhythm of, of life that we have as a church. So those of that are part of the church will know that we uh, seek to disciple people practically into living out uh, how we follow Jesus. And we do that through a rhythm of life of up, in, out and down. And each of those have got two values. Uh, and so the up is um, prayer and creativity. The in is learning community. And so these values just help us bed in the reality of our lives, uh, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that's why we do what we do. So uh, this first quarter of the year, we're looking at the up and the in really is where we're focusing. Now, they all feed into each other. So you can't exclusively look at one without them seeing them impact all of the others. Our relationship with God impacts our relationship with each other. As we'll look this morning, our relationship with each other impacts the world. And throughout all of that is the the down of just being able to do that from a place of rest, not for rest. And so they all feed into each other. But let me read to you uh, John, First uh, John 2, 1 to 6. I've got so many things going on here. I'm, right, has that come up? Hey, that's worked. I'm on projector, living the dream. Uh, So let me just read. Uh, I can't read with my Bible as well. That's one too many devices. So let me read from the screen. It says, my little children, don't forget this is John. So he's in his old age. So he's writing as an old man to the people in Ephesus, uh, possibly a circular letter or a sermon. So he's directing them. uh, He's he's, uh, addressing them directly. And he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the son, he is the perpetuation for our sins, not for... I'm stopping because that's not verse 1. Is it? Is that verse 1? Oh, I'm glad somebody's on the ball. I told you I've, not, I've lost the plot completely. In my head, that's verse 4, but that's fine. We'll, we'll swap the sermon around. We'll get it right as we go. Don't worry about that. Um, and this is not... Uh, where did we get to? Perpetuation for our sins, not for only as, but also for the sins of the world. And by this, we will know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know we have, we, that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way that he walked great stuff. So let me pray. I feel like I need to pray. My brain is all over the place. So let's just pray. Hmm. Father, we thank you that your word says that your mercies are fresh every morning. Some mornings we feel like we need that a bit more than others. So thank you that as we gather as your people this morning, that God, nothing phases you. Nothing's out of your hands. And so we just come and we We rest in your presence right now and we ask, Holy Spirit, will you just come and speak through your word as we gather around your word as your people. Speak through your word. We open our ears to hear you this morning. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Uh, A question this morning. Have you ever been misunderstood? Yeah? (laughs) Phew. You can really resonate with that. Let me read this to you. So there was an old man who had really bad hearing problems And he crashed his car into a really expensive Tesla. 
Obviously, he had eye eyesight problems as well, but crashed his car into this really expensive Tesla. And the owner of the Tesla jumps out and confronts this old man and says, you need to give me £40,000 for this car right now. Otherwise, I'm going to beat you up. The old man replies, whoa, hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't have that sort of money, but let me call my son. He trains dolphins. That's what he said to him. So the old man dials his son, and he's about to speak to the owner of the expensive car when, he, when the owner of the expensive car yanks the phone out of his hands and says, you train dolphins while you tell your old man he's just hit and damaged my car, and you need to bring 40,000 pounds, otherwise I will beat him up. The son answers, okay, give me 15 minutes, and I'll be there. In exactly 15 minutes, the son pulls up. Ten men jump out of the car and beat up the man with the expensive car. Meanwhile, the son walks over to his father and says, Dad, I've told you I train Navy SEALs, not dolphins. <laughs> Misunderstandings. <laughs> so we've, we've covered in 1 John why John is writing this letter, and he's writing it to people that are seeking to leave the church because they want a deeper kind of, under, not understanding, a deeper experience of spiritual things. So we were talking last week about they, they feel like Jesus is kind of like the, the, the primary school. And we've got that. We understand his grace. But now we need something more. And we need something deeper. And so they were leaving the church. And so what we need to know is that John, of what he's speaking into, I think often is misunderstood. In these verses, I think what John is sharing is so misunderstood. Because what we need to remember, whenever you read a portion of Scripture is... You need to kind of know the context that it's being written into. And when I say the context, I mean, yes, what's going on uh, within the culture at the time, but also who's he writing to? So in this context, John is writing to people that already believe in Jesus. They're already following Jesus. They've already surrendered their life. Whatever language you want to use, they're already saved. They've already accepted Jesus as their saviour. And so we see in verse 3 that when John tells him, he says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we can keep his commandments. Who's John speaking to? Those that have already surrendered their life to Jesus. He emphasizes it again in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Remember I said last week, this is John, like Grandpa John. He's repeating himself. So he says the same thing there again. If you're following Jesus, you'll do what he says. It goes on again in verse 5 and basically rewords exactly the same thing. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Saying the same thing over and over again. Now what we need to remember is that all of the authors of the scriptures were inspired by the Spirit of God. So this isn't John just going having a, uh, a moment where he just kind of gets into this loop of repeating himself. The Spirit of God is it's inspiring John to write these words. The Spirit is saying, we need to make an emphasis here. We need to make this point so clear to the people of God. And just when we think he's finished repeating himself, verse 6 makes preaching really easy. Because I've just cracked through four verses there and I'm just going to make one point. So that makes you happy, I'm hoping. Maybe not. I'll make seven points. That's fine. We'll keep going. But verse six, it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. So we've got four verses there, three or four verses, 
where John is saying exactly the same thing. He's saying, if you know Jesus, you will do what he says. Pretty radical portion of scripture, isn't it? Pretty tough portion of scripture, actually. When I read that and I look at my own life and I go, if I know Jesus, I'll do what he says. Oh, man. But I think these verses are so often misrepresented because often what these verses are used for is evidence of somebody's faith in Jesus. And so you might have heard it said by people, they're saying like, well, they say they're a Christian. They say they're saved. But did you see them do that? They claim to be a Christian. But I heard that. And we can use these scriptures to bash people over the head. And we end up stepping into a realm that frankly is above our pay grade. Because it's not our job to judge somebody's salvation. And that is not what John is doing here. He's not saying, therefore, if you don't keep the commandments, you're clearly not a Christian. That's not what he says. Because he's talking about knowing Jesus. So we'll get into that in a moment. But these are people that already have surrendered their life to Jesus. So let me clear up the misunderstanding. These verses in this book is not a test of genuine faith. It's a test of genuine friendship. Now, there's a difference. Because we can look at, and I've heard it, and let's, let's, let's shoot the, the people in our own denomination. We can often look at other denominations and say, oh, they're not really saved, are they? Again, we are way above our pay grade. That's Job's job, God's job to judge somebody's salvation, not ours. But the invitation here is not to faith. These people already believe. The invitation here is to friendship. Those that know Jesus will keep his commands. John is showing us the test by which we can know what it looks like to have genuine friendship with Jesus. What it means to know him. Not simply believe in him. The devil believes in Jesus. Does he keep his commands? No. So this is an invitation to genuine friendship. This is, this is the rhythm of life for up for us. This is about us developing a friendship with God, deepening that relationship. For us, up is about passionate loyalty to Jesus expressed through a life of worship. And it starts with believing. I'm not knocking the, the, the invitation to a genuine faith. That's where it starts, but it's not where it finishes. The invitation is always to go deeper into a friendship with Jesus. See, salvation is based on what we believe. And we need to be really careful that we don't base it on making sure everybody's obeying the commandments. Because if we do, I think we can go to John and say, you're contradicting yourself, John. If we take these verses as a test for faith, we can go, John, in, in your gospel... John 3.16, everybody knows it. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So John wrote those words in his gospel. So for him then to turn around and say, well, now what we're going to say is you've got to keep his commandments in order to be saved. Then I think we'd be legitimate to say, John, you're contradicting yourself. I'm not sure we can take you seriously. So this isn't what he's on about. It's important that we get this because the Spirit is emphasizing this. So we've got to make sure we understand where he's coming from. John is not describing how we get forgiveness, but he's showing us the test of genuine friendship. Forgiveness is the way in, John tells us. Believing is the way in. Verse 1 and 2, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
We need to deal with sin. We've got to start there. Start with the sin issue. And if you, if you understand that you've got a sin issue in your life, then you understand the need for a savior. If you understand the need for a savior, welcome to the realm of belief. Who are you going to believe is your savior? So John is starting in that place. He's not saying belief is not important. He's saying, let's deal with this. Let's admit that we've got a sin problem. And then he goes on. But if anyone does sin, I love that but. Some great buts in the Bible. And that is a great but. But if you do sin, it's a beautifully placed hopeful but. It means there's space for those of us that believe and fall totally and utterly in love with Jesus, but we mess up. Let's deal with the sin issue. I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin, but if you do, oh, there's grace. There's room in God's grace for those of us that mess up. So John starts with the sin issue. He starts with the belief. He's saying, if you acknowledge that you've got sin, there's someone you need to believe in in order to be saved. It's Jesus. And he says that in the next bit. He says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Really long word, advocate. Basically means somebody who, who is in your place. And it's, it's in the present tense. So it's fascinating that John uses the present tense to describe Jesus and his role. That he is stood in a place for us. He's standing at our defense and he's doing it right now. In this moment, in this second, in the present tense. And when this second's gone, he's doing it now as well. And when this second's gone, and then that moment happens, when you fall short, he's doing it in that moment then as well. The constant advocate presently defending us in every moment right now. And it's Jesus Christ who's the righteous. Righteous just means in right standing before God. So it's him that's righteous. It's him that's in right standing before God constantly and presently because we sin. So we had that picture last week, didn't we, of God looking through a, a colored lens. And as, as God looked through that lens, he was, the, the color changed uh, the, the, the presentation of the people underneath it. And so the color of, of our sin changed. And I remember speaking about my white shoes. I wore my white shoes this week to compare to the purity of Alan's white shoes. Because mine aren't quite as white as Alan's. But that's what Jesus is doing. He is, that, he is that lens. He's the one that shifts and takes that dirt off us, takes that sin off us. And as God looks through Christ, we are in him. And so what is true of Christ is true of us because he is righteous because we never could be. He is the righteous one. And he goes on in verse two, for he is the propitiation for our sins. And that's a really long theological word. It just means he took your place. He took your place. He took your place. And he's doing it right now because he's righteous. Because there's absolutely no way we ever could be. And it's not just for us, John says, but for all the sins of the whole world. So he's not just enough for this moment right now in this space for you. He is enough for all people in every moment across the world. And he's doing it every single moment. So sin is conquered, John says. It's covered, it's dealt with if you simply believe. So there's no contradiction for John. He's not saying in his gospel you've got to believe, but actually now you've just got to do it by keeping his commandments. 
He's dealing with it all right here, and he's saying it's about Jesus. Don't be tempted to look anywhere else. It's Jesus. Forgiveness is the way in. But for John and our invitation as followers of Jesus, friendship is the way on. So you get in through forgiveness, understanding your need for a savior. But we carry on with an invitation to deeper friendship. And I think that's some of what Ian and I were speaking into at the start of this year, where there's a change of season, there's a new song, that actually God is inviting us into a deeper relationship with him than we've ever had before. Individually, yes. Corporately, absolutely. And it's about a deeper friendship with him. Verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him. John's saying you're forgiven, you're saved, you're covered, you and the whole world if you simply believe. But now I want to talk to those of you who don't just want to know what it is to be forgiven, but you want to get to know the one who forgives. That's the invitation. That's the point of John's letter. A lasting offer of friendship. So you need to understand that as a community, us being here, wherever we gather corporately, our missional households, we're not simply about introducing people to forgiveness. We're about introducing people to the one who forgives. And there is a difference. It's not just get your life understood with Jesus that he's died for you and that you, you now have a place in eternity, great, crack on. It's, yeah, get that, accept what he's done, understand the position that you are before God and the need that you have for a savior and what Jesus has done for you, but now start to deepen that friendship because when you do, there is life and life in all its fullness. And John says, what's the evidence that we're getting to know him? What's the test of those that are coming into friendship with him? Verse three, we keep his commandments. We keep his commandments commandments the evidence of knowing Jesus and having friendship with him is that you will long to keep his commandments that as a people we are becoming increasingly bad at sinning that's what John says this isn't keeping his commandments so then we'll know that Jesus says okay good well done you're in this is keeping his commandments because then we know that we're coming to know him and coming to know him is the ultimate goal of the people of God. And actually, a better translation of keeping his commandments, uh, sorry, of, coming to, of come to know him, is coming to know him. So it's not those that have come to know him, full stop, job done, you, you come to know him, now you're keeping his commandments. It's those that are coming to know him, progressive, increasingly knowing him. It's about a decision to follow Jesus that each day continues that you will come to know him more and more and more. And in that place, we're slowly changed. In that place, there comes transformation. I wonder what you're putting in your life to invest in the friendship you have with Jesus. I'm, I'm going to speak like John is to the Christians in the room. So I'm not going to assume that everybody in this room has given their life to Jesus. But if you have, what are you doing to deepen that friendship with him. John's going to help us answer that question. But before that, verse 4, surprise, surprise, guess what? He repeats himself. He says, whoever says, I know him. Again, this is better coming to know him. It's a, it's a present continuous. Whoever is coming to know him and you do not keep his commandments, you're a liar. I told you John's going to shoot straight. He's just going to say it as he is. 
And I know it's in, uh, I think we just need to get into the crux of it, don't we? The thing that probably all of us are thinking in the room is like keeping his commandments. Ah. One, one theologian says that John's favorite word is keep. I wish he wasn't. I wish it was try. That'd be a lot more comfortable, wouldn't it? Just try. If you can, if you're able, don't worry if you don't, just try. But it's not, it's keep his commandments. See, what John is ultimately saying is that someone who's really getting to know Jesus is you will increasingly seek to keep his commandments. But what we hear is do his commandments. So if you, if you are coming to know Jesus, you'll do them and you'll do them perfectly. That's not what this says. The Greek word is a Greek word, tereho. Now, I don't speak Greek. If you do, then you're, I'm sure I've just murdered that pronunciation, but tereho. And that word means to watch, to guard, to attend to, to subject yourself to. So what does it mean to keep his commandments? See, keeping his commandments in a, in a broader biblical understanding is less about an outward activity and it's more about an interior attitude. Because we've already said, if you sin, I mean, I don't need an if there. Just I'll put my hand up before anybody else. I don't need the if. I could do with a when. When you sin. And so the keeping of the commandments is about watching them, having a heart that says, I see them and I desire them. Do I always meet them? No. But I know I need a savior. So when I don't meet them, I run to him because he's the propitiation. He's the one that's righteous. And so I'll run to him. I need him. But I'm getting to know Jesus and I'm getting to know what he commands and I'm watching them and I'm attending to them. Are you willingly welcoming and passionately pursuing him, watching Jesus? And let me use this word. Are you yielding to him more and more? Knowing that we won't always get it right, but our desire and our motive and our lifestyle is to pursue Jesus. Can you say that about yourself? Because that's what these verses are about. Not seeking to be more and more perfect, but to be present with the one who is. Because something happens in that space that truly transforms. John will go on and say that in verse 6, because he says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. I love that word, abide. So it's a word that I've carried for a number of years. John says it himself in his gospel as he quotes Jesus in John 15. So much about John 15 is the relationship that we have with God. And out of that comes fruit. It's the vine and the branches for those that know that scripture. And in John 15 verse 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So much of what John is speaking into as he quotes Jesus in those verses, but also in 1 John chapter 2, is that something happens in the abiding place with Jesus in order to keep his commandments and live the life that he calls us to live that cannot happen outside of that place. There is something that is caught in the presence of Jesus that can never be taught at the front of a church. I can teach until the cows come home. Transformation happens when we spend time in the presence of Jesus. 
giving him the time and the space to transform us. And it's in that abiding place. Being like Jesus is the byproduct of being with Jesus. So John is calling us to be like Jesus. And we can get caught up in saying, well, we've got to keep all the commands. We've got to do it all. We've got to make sure we're all put. And he's saying, are you abiding? Firstly, do you believe? Secondly, are you abiding? So what does it mean to abide? What does it mean to abide? The only picture I can think of is this. Have you ever been canoeing? Have you been canoeing? You know, there's moments when you're in a canoe and you're, you're, you're using the paddles and you're paddling. Yeah? But if you've ever been in a canoe, are there moments when you stop paddling and you just stop and look around? And you just drift on the river for a few moments. Have you ever had that moment? That's the abiding moment. See, sometimes when we, when we gather and we come to, to Jesus in prayer, we're, we're feeling like we need to do something. Got to pray for that. And there's nothing wrong with this. Okay, I'm not knocking this at all. I do this. Got to pray for those people. Got to get, you know, got to read this bit of scripture. Jesus, I've got I to open myself up to your spirit to speak through to me because you need to transform me. You've got to change me. There's this about my life and I need to give it to you because it's really grotty and it stinks and it needs to change and I need you to transform me. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's fantastic. It's what the spirit of God does. But then at some point we need to go, and now I'm just going to sit. Wow, look at those trees. Wow, look at those clouds. Isn't that incredible? That's the abiding moment. Where we're sitting in his presence and we allow something in that space to transform us. And sometimes we can be sat in that place drifting on the river and feel like we're achieving nothing. But we're opening ourselves up to allow the Spirit of God to do something that sheer willpower cannot do on its own. And it brings about a transformation. And it's called abiding. And in that space, we're just resting in the glory of God. And he starts to shift things around and maybe starts to bring things to our awareness that we weren't aware of. And we go, oh, that's something you want to work on. But then sometimes we can go, I have no idea what that was all about. Nothing seemed to happen but I just gave this time to sit and abide in the presence of Jesus. Because in our consumerist culture, our brain is wired that whenever we come to God, something significant needs to happen. Something significant needs to shift and change. And sometimes God's just saying, I just want to be with you. I just want to spend some time with you. And you might feel like nothing's shifting and nothing's changing, but let me be the one that sorts that out. And so what we're going to do is we're going to abide for a few minutes. Is that okay? Oh, I can feel the excitement in the room. And the way we're going to do that is just going to have some silence. Because life is busy. Life is manic. And one way that I regularly just abide with Jesus is I just give him the time. And I just fix my attention on him. So what we're going to do is just for three, three minutes, because for some of us, that feels like an eternity because we're so wired to be on the go all the time, achieving stuff, doing stuff, that three minutes is like, oh my words, I'm bored, and that's fine. When I started practicing some silence and just sitting with Jesus, do you know what? 34 seconds was on my, I, I, I timed myself just to see, because I was interested. 34 seconds I lasted, before I looked at my phone, I'm like, 34 seconds? I thought it'd been 34 minutes, because my brain was all over the place. Now what this isn't, is Eastern mysticism where we're going to try and empty our mind, okay? 
This is a moment where we say, God, come and consume me. Come and fill me. And so we're going to start by just saying, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will you just come in this moment as we make this time to abide in your presence? And will you come and fill us? Fill us with you. What I've learned is that every time my mind wanders away from focusing on Jesus, it's an opportunity to receive his grace and be welcomed back into the Father's arms. And so don't, don't put pressure on yourself that, man, my mind has just gone and started thinking about that which I need to do in two hours' time. It's okay. Some of you might just want to have a scripture that you, I often you'll use. Um, Ecclesiastes says, I'll breathe in with I am my beloved and I'll breathe out with and he is mine. And it just helps me focus my mind on him. And John uses that word in the next verse. He says, beloved, I'm writing to you, no new commandment. So I might just want to repeat that word, beloved. I am my beloved and he is mine. So my invitation for you this week is to abide. Why don't you spend some time abiding? And my encouragement with you is start when you ca- start where you can, not where you'd like to be. Some of us are like achieve high achievers and we want to be super spiritual. So I'm going to nail like 20 minutes of just sat in Jesus' presence. Start with two or three and just say, I'm going to sit in your, pr- I'm going to abide. I'm going to just drift on the river. And how about we do that a couple of times this week? And we start to just do that over this next month. And we see what happens. And we just see what that time with God does. Not that we're seeking to achieve anything other than abiding. And do you know the only way you can fail at abiding? Not showing up. It's the only way. There is no other way to fail. Because there's no expectation when you're in that moment. Just show up. And for some of you, finding a quiet place is a challenge. So I encourage you, the throne room is an amazing place. The toilet. Some of us, it's the only quiet room we have in the house. But you're in the throne room, so it's fine. You can pray in there. Lock the door. But find some time, a couple of minutes, a couple of times this week, just to abide in his presence. And maybe that word beloved, as John will use that word, and I'm going to come to a, land, uh, come to a close in this, that... Um, uh, I don't know what verse it is at all. Uh, verse four, is it? Somebody that's following with verses. Beloved. Somebody shout out the verse. I'm looking at Mary. Verse seven. I'm nowhere near it. It's ESV. Oh, it is verse seven because I've got it written up there. I was ahead of myself. So it's verse seven. He uses this word beloved. And I want to encourage you and say that he's using this word to people that are already following Jesus. And he uses this word to those that are leaving the church because he's writing to them. He's writing to those that are seeking to leave the church, those that are staying in the church, and he wants to confront that and say, let's deal with this issue. And he calls them beloved. Those that are actively choosing to turn away from Jesus to seek other things. And he says, beloved. So even if you come and you say, do you know what? I, I, I know what I've just done. I know what I've just said. I know what I've just been. I'm going to come and abide. I'm going to come and sit and rest in his presence. John says, that's, that's what it's about, beloved. He's still the beloved. He says, beloved, I'm writing to you. We can sit here, he's writing in the first person. He is passionate. He's reaching out to these people. No new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. But at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. I love that. It's that, that, that affirmation again that what is true of Jesus is true of you. You're in him. He's in you. 
because you're deepening that friendship. And so you're becoming him. And this is an old commandment, but at the same time, a new commandment. It's the paradox of, of the gospel. The paradox of following Jesus. This is an old commandment and a new commandment. To love one another, John will go on to say in verse, verses 9 to 10. And he talks about you can't, you can't be friends with Jesus and hate your, your fellow follower of Jesus. You can't claim to be deepening your friendship with Jesus but hold unforgiveness towards that person. And so he starts to say actually that, that uh, the evidence of, of the friendship we have with Jesus is some practical stuff in our life will start to shift and start to change. And he says it's a new commandment that you love one another. This is John 13, 34. He says, and this is Jesus, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. So Jesus confirms that, that this new commandment is about loving one another. But the difference is it's not loving one another as you love yourself. It's the old commandment. Jesus says the new commandment is love one another as I have loved you. Whoa, that's just hit a whole new level. This isn't just love people like you love yourself, which is hard enough as it is. This is love each other as I have loved you with an extravagant abundance. Again, this is only possible if we follow what John says and we abide in his presence. All, all nice knees aside, I'm going to struggle to love you the way Jesus loves me because I'm human. And Jesus is fully human and fully God. So the only way I can love like Jesus would love is by spending time with him, receiving his love freely you've received, now freely you can give. He's saying this new commandment. We're called to fill this world with a love that is not simply enough. It's not simply us on a good day, which I'm sure is brilliant. You on a good day, fantastic. But the world is crying out for Jesus. And so we as his people need to spend time with him to such a degree that we're being transformed to be like him in order to love like he loves, not just us on a good day. Uh, Sarah, Alan, do you guys want to come up and we will finish? And as they do, I want to encourage you to say, do you realize that you, you know that I'm preaching right now in the sense of I'm, I'm speaking God's word and I'm trying to teach it in a way that is applicable for us to apply to our lives, to live that out in everyday life. That's not what preaching is about. What I'm doing is I'm teaching. And we like to use this word preaching, but do you realize that every single person in this room is a preacher? Actually, whether you're following Jesus or not, I think you're a preacher. Because to preach means to publicly declare something. That's what preaching is. To publicly declare something. So do you realize that each and every day you get to preach? To your co-workers, to your friends, to your family. You get to declare something publicly every single day. And John is going to land these verses in something really practical. And he's going to say that you can, you can publicly declare something about Jesus, but if you're not living it, then it's really confusing. Really, really confusing. And so what John's going to speak into, he's going to speak into unforgiveness. 
And it's something that I spoke into when Ian and I uh, looked at two, uh, Song of Songs 2 a few weeks ago. It just felt like John, uh, God was saying that there's a new song for some of us to sing. And I just really felt that uh, for some of us, it's a shift of song from, uh, from bitterness to gratitude, from unforgiveness to forgiveness. And there's a new song. And, and John is actually going to land this really practically. And he's going to say, you can't claim to be friends with Jesus, but then not love the people that are around you in community. Because what happens is, if you're, if you're friends with Jesus and you're getting to know him, and you receive the forgiveness that he offers you, but then you don't extend that to others, there's a gap somewhere. And it doesn't make any sense. And it's saying in verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going. So what he's actually saying, he's, he's saying something really profound here, and he's saying actually that that our, our feelings towards each other are connected to the relationship we have with Jesus. That when we allow Jesus into our life and, we allow, and we're spending time with him, then actually how we look at each other is going to start to shift and change. And we'll have a love for each other that is beyond my ability. It's not loving you like I love you. It's loving you like Jesus loves you. Beyond, above, outrageously. And it's really practical. And he actually says that for those that look into the church, and, they, and I'm not speaking into any situation. This isn't me with an agenda. This is just the verses that we're preaching. But he says for the world to look in and see a church that is divided and not liking each other, not forgiving each other, it confuses them. Because they say, hang on a minute, you're speaking about a love that is willing to die for sinners but you can't even accept and love and forgive and walk alongside each other. And not only that, it says that it confuses us. It says in verse 11, and, um, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going. It confuses us and our walk. And we feel like we're all over the place. And the only way we can do it is by being in his presence and opening ourselves up to say, Jesus, will you come and start to shift and change some stuff? Because actually, the feelings I have towards this person, whether it's part of our fellowship, I want to extend it and say, I think there's some biblical precedent to say it's not just about forgiving believers, but we're a forgiving people. Because whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. So to love like Jesus loves isn't just to love those that have accepted him, it's to love those that are simply rejecting him. So what does that start to look like? And this is one practical way that John is, is unpicking what it looks like to, to open ourselves up to let Jesus start to do some work in us. about a people who are willingly welcoming and passionately pursuing Jesus, yielding to him, allowing him to do some stuff in us. And it's the up relationship that we have. And so I want to just give some space now. I've got no dramatic ending. I've got no amazing conclusion. It just in my notes just says dot, 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 which for me is language. It just let's see what God wants to do. 